It is indeed great to see you. Um, my sermon today is going to be a way different format from anything I've done, or at least that I can remember. Of course, I remember less, than, well, we won't get into that. But uh, I have to admit, there are things I hear and things I see that sometimes my brain jumps to this phrase, nope, that's not true. Have you ever felt that? Don't give me examples. All right. It might be about me. But uh, sometimes I do. Usually I don't say anything or even make a comment. You let it slide. Every now and then, it's a big enough deal, you have to speak up. Don't panic when I tell you this. I'm going to share with you three that I don't speak up about. And two that I do. The two that I do, it's because they make an eternal difference. They can change eternity for a person. The first three, not that big a deal, just kind of a problem. Uh, I found a quote. It said, I thought I was wrong once, but it wound up I was mistaken. Have you ever known anyone like that? Oh, great. No pointing. And, uh, well, I've been wrong a bunch of times in my life. But what I'm going to share with you is a few things that uh, are out there, we'll just say. Here's the first one. There are some beliefs that are simply wrong. Some of those wrong beliefs have huge eternal consequences. First one, we tend to think of Jesus as he appeared in a scene from the Bible. What, that, what I mean is, we have an image in our mind. Mine come from 1950 Sunday school posters. Do you remember those that they stood on a rail along the wall? Okay. Those are where my images of Jesus come from a lot. Uh, but we have an image. In fact, as I'm talking about it, you've got some going through your mind. Uh, ones that come to my mind often. Uh, him teaching with the disciples. Uh, seated and they're gathered around learning. Uh, I, th I think of uh, him loving the children. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think of the crucifixion. I think of him standing before the empty tomb, which as he walked out of the garden, the ladies saw him. I, don't, I didn't even know if I saw that one. But that's one that's in my head, probably because somebody painted it for a Sunday school picture. It's funny how those happen. Here's my deal with that. They're okay as long as you remember they're no more the way Jesus is now. As I'm like the picture, uh, what was it, Mike Blackstock put of me on Facebook yesterday or day before. I was about 100 pounds lighter and we'll leave it there. Uh, I'm not like that anymore. Well, Jesus isn't like that anymore. I want to share just part of this with you. The, later, go read Revelation 1, but here we go. When I turned, by the way, I'm sorry, this is written by John. 
who was called the beloved apostle, when they'd be sitting around and after they'd eat, John would even fall over and go to sleep on Jesus' shoulder. The beloved apostle, number one guy, the closest person to him in his ministry. And get this, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Son of Man being a name for Jesus. When I saw him... I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I fell at his feet as if I were dead. His number one guy on earth, when he saw Jesus as he is now, look at his response. He passed out. What were the first words Jesus said to him? Don't be afraid. Now John tries to describe and using metaphors and all this stuff what Jesus looked like. And he struggled with that and I'll let you deal with that either during the sermon pretending you're not looking or you can look when you get home. But Jesus was so incredible, so radiant, his revealed glory so powerful, John's response was, Boom, like a dead man. Wow. The main thing I want you to remember, we have our sentimental images. I do. That's not Jesus now. That's what I think he looked like then. He has changed. Now he's king of kings, lord of lords. I love it. I just love that. That was one of them. That wasn't too painful, was it? All right. Notice I didn't watch for your response. Next, some people think that clicking a button equals prayer. You may think I'm being a nut to say that. I actually saw one post on a social network, like equals prayer. They actually printed that. And for those of you not into it, it's just saying, hey, you say you like the little saying here. And if you click like, it's a prayer. Well, no, it's not. I can go ahead and tell you. And no, there's no way I believe Jesus is waiting to bless you on you to copy and paste something someone said you should copy and paste. Doesn't work that way, guys. It's sentimental, it's enjoyable, but it doesn't really work that way. What's prayer like? Let's look at Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. What a neat outline we've got there. And yes, it could be a whole sermon, and yes, I'm resisting. But... Don't worry. I submit to you, if we really get to worrying, check your faith. How's the faith working? Because faith tends to take care of that. Instead, instead, pray about it. Pray to God about this. Tell him what you need. Thank him for what he's done. By the time you 
pray to God for what you need. You thank Him for the things He's already done in your life. Your worrying will pretty well be out the door. But dear friend, I'm going to say, clicking a button does not equal prayer. Prayer is when you talk to God. And I'm going to go ahead and extend this a little farther. And I challenge myself on this every day. If I say I'm praying for you on there, it means I'm praying for you right then. And I'll pray for you later. And I'm talking to God on your behalf. It's called intercession. And it's part of prayer. And it's a part we are obliged to do for each other. So yeah, we need to be praying. Absolutely. But clicking like just won't get it done. I have to admit. Third one. Some people think that when we die, we become angels. By the way, right off, don't get your feelings hurt. A lot of people think this. And you mean something very good in saying that. But I'm going to go ahead and meddle here a little bit and talk about this. Because it is really pretty much a big deal. Angels are created beings created by God before man was created. They are not born. They don't increase. There aren't more of them now than there were. And I won't get into the fall and where part of the angels fell. We won't get into all the angelology today. Uh, If you get curious about that, a book by Billy Graham called Angels that he revised in a second edition several years ago Incredible, easy read, and won't burn your circuits. Just like he's sitting there talking to you. I highly recommend it. But anyhow, let's look at Romans 8, 15 to 17. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Yeah, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. That's translated in other translations. It's translated, uh, this is basically together we are heirs. The old King James says joint heirs. Some translations say heirs with. But do you understand who we're an heir with? Jesus. You understand that when we go to heaven as part of the redeemed, the people that Jesus Christ gave his life to save. We've got something angels still are mystified by. That God became man, shed his blood and died for you and me. It blows the angels' mind. They can't comprehend the love and thanksgiving we must have in our hearts to him. 
We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Folks, being an angel would be a demotion. We just don't think about it a lot. So I'm here asking you to think about it a little. But folks, we're, we will be above the angels. So uh, I'm excited about that. By the way, co-heirs with Christ, fellow heirs, those are some of the other ways that was translated. All right, the next two errors are biggies. Some people think that when we die, we will go to heaven if we've done more good than bad. By the way, let me say most of the world thinks that when you die, you go to heaven that if you've got these big scales and if you've done more good than bad, you go to heaven. If you've done more bad than good, you go to hell. The Bible doesn't agree with that. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Oh my goodness, God knows us so well. If we could earn heaven, we'd be bragging about it all the time. Some of us might tend to want to anyhow. Guys, it's a gift on purpose. We can't earn it. Nothing we can do will make us good enough for heaven. Only the blood payment of Jesus Christ to cover your sin lets you go to heaven. Why do we do the scale thing? I'm going to admit, when I was in school, uh, <laughs> when I got far enough along, I worried about grades a little. Sorry, guys, but it's the truth. Uh, I can remember going into class and look around. And I knew the prof would give out a few A's and several B's and a whole bunch of C's. And I'd figure out how much work it'd take for me to get a B. Float the curve, baby. Long as I was in that top four folks, I was good. I'm not saying that's the way to do. I'm not. And I did get better as I went on. But I can remember consciously... Doing that and first test, see if I had it figured about right. Do I need to study a little more or a little less? Because heaven help if I study more than I needed to to get the grade. Um, oh my goodness. But I wanted the reward for what I did. I was going to be good enough to get it. And we want to think we can get good enough to get heaven. I don't want to be too good. I don't want to waste any good here. But I want to get good enough to get into heaven. And that has nothing to do with it. Now I must go ahead and say that it's like a coin with two sides. The faith that saves is alone. It's faith alone that saves. Your faith in Jesus Christ 
his blood paying your way to heaven. But I'm going to hurry to say the other side of the coin is the faith that saves you is never alone. When you've been touched by Jesus Christ, when you are his child, you are a joint heir with him, you're not going to be the person you were before you got saved. You're changed. Can you see how somebody thinking about the scale and looking down the street can think, like I would going into class, whoops, I'm going to have to work to beat this group, or (laughs) if I'm here every week, I've got to be. I mean, you could tell looking around. Oh, my goodness. What if our neighbors are doing that thinking about heaven? They're heading down the wrong road with the wrong information. That's one that's worth talking to somebody about. It really is. That's one, yeah, worth sharing the truth. One more. Some people think they have plenty of time. They can take care of things later. I read this quote. One of these days, I'm going to get some help with my procrastination problem. All right. That tested you to see if you were awake. Uh, Mark Twain said this. Never put off until tomorrow what you can put off until the day after tomorrow. All right. He was, by the way, uh, a self-confessed procrastinator. Yeah, later. I think that's one of the Satan's greatest deceits he uses against people who are lost and people who are saved. For the lost, it makes a difference in heaven or hell maybe. When Satan says, you don't need to receive God's forgiveness today. You can do that later. Later. Next week. October. January. That'd be good. New Year's. I'll wait till New Year's. He loves to have us put that off. For the saved, he loves to have us put off doing what God's calling us to do. If the Lord puts a burden on your heart, Satan's going to counter. He won't say it's bad to do that. No, 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 no. That's what my granddaughter does. No, 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 no. Both hands. Oh, my goodness. No, 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 no. He'll say later. Yeah, that's good, and you be good at that, and you need to do that. Later. Later. Oh, what a little, little word later. How does later change eternity for a person already saved? Two ways. Number one, God left you here to make a difference. And if you keep waiting till later, you're not making a difference. Also, 
to put it on a different level and a different direction, God has promised rewards to those who serve him. And those rewards are in heaven. And they're based on us following his will and doing things for him. Later means there isn't much there. And I'll go ahead and say, and the things we put there that we want folks to see us put there, them seeing us was our reward and there's nothing in the pile on that one. That's kind of tough, but it's biblical. Later, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, later is a lie from the devil. If you're a Christian who you know God's calling you to do some things, we're being involved in community contact greater than we've ever been before. We, we've got so many opportunities to serve him. And we tell God later, later. Folks, that's tough. That's tough. I know uh, I had a lady contact me last night. Uh, who's, uh, she found out a few months ago that her mother had been murdered. Murdered about a year before by her favorite cousin who was living with her mom. So she felt betrayed by the cousin, brokenhearted at the death of her mom, and then, I mean, just all torn up. And uh, she's going to join us for grief share tonight. And she's wanting to bring her daughter who has a 10-month-old baby. And she asked last night, she said, can my daughter bring the 10-month-old? And I said, I, I wrote two or three responses and erased them before I sent them. Because I went, no, dog. I started to say, well, we have children's choir and it starts at this many years old. So sorry and no, I can't do that. And then I can't do that. And I finally came up with, here's what I wrote. And I said, I'll check with folks tomorrow and see if I can somebody take care of the baby while we meet. I just said, I'll see. I'll let you know Sunday afternoon. She said, that's fine. I'm going to come anyhow. But if my daughter can come, she'd really love to. What's way cool, neither of those ladies know Jesus Christ. What an opportunity. So needless to say, if any of you would like to entertain a 10-month-old at 4.30 today, I'd love to put you to work. But guys, the other thing is, let me read James 4. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year and we will do business there and make a profit how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow your life is like the morning fog and it's here a little while then it's gone amen every one of you can tell me situations you've seen that happening i remember in my life i dropped my world changed i left this church in July, June, and I didn't show back up till I don't even know when, October maybe. 
maybe late September, October after my heart surgery. Yeah, I was gone. I had plans I'd made for that time. You know where they went? Out the window. None of us know what tomorrow brings. Not one of us. I remember our pastor preaching and talking about this once years and years and years ago. And I'll never forget it. He said when he's on the phone with family members, even if they may be disagreeing, he always ends in words of love because you never know when that will be the last call. Yeah. Words of love. Those make a difference. Don't put them off till later. Give them every time. Give them every time. Here's a question. If you learn some new truth today, what action will you take? Is there something you've been putting off more than you get around to it? I understand that if that's the case. If so, take a quarter, put it on your bulletin, draw a circle around it. Write T-U-I-T, T-U-I-T in the circle and cut it out. Then you'll have a round to it and you can go ahead and do whatever it is. Oh, my goodness. Explain it to your spouse later. Uh, But guys, yeah, let's make that difference. I remember years ago, I used to subscribe uh, to a magazine, more a business magazine, uh, but I had worked with a lot of folks at... uh, Union Carbide at Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and IBM had a huge plant uh, facility in Knoxville and went to church with a lot of those guys, and I'd taken a magazine just kind of getting a feel for what they uh, dealt with day in, day out. And this phrase is what that magazine pushed all the time. Do it now. Do it now. As a Christian, we're not driven like some folks are to make a financial killing or whatever. We're driven by love. And with that drive of love, it's a challenge to us to toughen up when the devil says later and just say, no, today. No, today. 